Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speaking of Resilience podcast. I'm your host, Kate Madigan, with the Michigan Climate Action Network. This podcast is also brought to you by the Groundwork Center. In today's episode, we are focusing on the historic opportunity right now to pass major climate justice policy through Congress. Our guests today are Sarah Chifo and Bentley Johnson. Sarah Chifo is the League of Conservation Voters Vice President of Government Affairs based in Washington, D.C., where she advocates for climate and energy policy with Congress and with the Biden administration. Bentley Johnson is the Federal Government Affairs Director for the Michigan League of Conservation Voters. And Bentley is in regular contact with our Michigan members of Congress about climate policy and other environmental issues. Join us for this discussion where we get an inside look at the policy that gives us a shot at keeping warming below one and a half degrees and to find out how you can help make it happen. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. It's really a pleasure to get to talk with you today, and I'm really excited about this conversation. It is such an honor to be here this morning. Thank you so much, Kate. So to start us off, will you tell us about the League of Conservation Voters and what your role is there? Yeah, the League of Conservation Voters is a national organization who has been dedicated to fighting for climate justice and clean air and clean water for all and a fair and healthy democracy since 1970. Um, We help hold uh, elected officials accountable. We help pass transformative policy. um, And we work with a network of state partners, including Michigan League of Conservation Voters to execute this incredible work. I feel very uh, lucky and um, privileged to have been part of the team at the League of Conservation Voters since 2009. It's when I started here and um, we work also deeply in community organizing and um, have a whole side of our organization that also does political endorsements and campaign work. So we are um, quite a force and I feel honored to honored to be part of it. Great. And your role there is the vice president of government affairs now? That, that is correct. Yes. So I help lead our federal climate advocacy work um, with a great team of federal advocates and um, a great team across our organization working on everything from communications to organizing, to fundraising, um, to all the rest. Excellent. And so today what we're talking about is um, there's been a lot going on in Congress and with the Biden administration around climate policy, especially over the past few months. So I'd love for you to summarize what is happening in Congress right now, especially with the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation package and the timing of all of that. Of course. Um, So it is a incredibly busy time in Congress. As I said, I've been doing this work with LCV for the better part of a dozen years, and we have a historic opportunity, an opportunity right now that only comes along once in a decade, if not longer, to pass historic and transformative legislation that takes the ambitious action we need on climate, centers good paying union jobs and centers justice for communities who have been on the front lines of toxic pollution harm, um, as well as systemic racism in our country. So Congress has been um, in negotiations for several months, uh, including with the president of the White House on a dual track legislative process. The first of which um, that moved was the bipartisan infrastructure bill. This is um, essentially a um, expanded highway surface transportation legislation that also includes important um, but insufficient investments in um, energy grid upgrades, um, in water infrastructure, in electric school buses, 
um, and some resilience pieces. Um, it's an important step forward, but it is not the transformative climate legislation that we need. So that bipartisan bill has passed the Senate. It is now sitting in the House. Um, and Speaker Pelosi has agreed to a vote on it um, by September 27th, so the end of this month. Um, but LCV and our state partners have been incredibly focused on that second legislative package that I mentioned, which is um, in DC talk, it's referred to as the reconciliation package. Um, but for average folks, um, it might be eas more easily understood as the Build Back Better Act, because this legislation will have the investments that deliver on the president's agenda that we pushed hard for in the campaign is wildly popular that centers those investments in um, climate justice and jobs. It's also paired with a holistic approach to um, helping families from cradle to grave um, with the American Families Plan. And so this is a $3.5 trillion package that, um, that Congress is debating right now. And we are um, in the throes in the House of the committees marking up their pieces of that reconciliation package because this legislation is spread across multiple committees. Um, and we'll have that committee process done by September 15th, so coming up here. And then we are pushing for four vote on the same timeline in the House as um, the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So these two bills are moving in tandem. Great. That is an excellent summary. And what is it like in D.C. right now? Are congressional staff working furiously right now on, on these bills? Because it's a really tight timeline. It's really fast. Yeah, it's an incredibly tight timeline. There has been... Um, it's hard to hard to state here, Kate, um, how much work there has been over the last year and a half to get ready for this big legislative push. And so I think it um, may seem fast to those uh, your listeners who are not working on this day in and day out. Um, but uh, we've been working for a year and a half on the policy um, and investments that need to be part of this package to make sure that we're meeting our climate goals, have the investments that drive um, pollution reduction in line with science-based goals, which is cutting pollution in half by 2030. Um, and so committee staff, especially in the White House, um, have been working um, for many months on getting ready for this. And of course, the reconciliation package is a two-step with the budget resolution passed with instructions to all the committees. So there was a fair amount of work done there. But now we are sprinting through um, what I would say in my time in D.C. is the, um, the swiftest timeline um, to pass the most expansive legislation I've ever had the pleasure to be a part of. So staff are incredibly busy. Um, I wish this was uh, a day, well, first of all, I wish the pandemic had never uh, existed because of all the harm it's caused, especially to um, communities of color, uh, emergency workers, and um, women. But I also uh, wish that we could be in the halls of Congress um, working uh, face-to-face -face with the staff would, it would make it a lot more fun, a lot easier, but um, you can do a lot over Zoom and it actually has helped us really bring in voices from the district and from back home in a way that um, hasn't always been possible. So there are some benefits of the, of the virtual world, but yes, staff are completely um, working over, you know, overtime and at all hours. I think there's going on, you know, 24 hour Zoom conference calls and negotiations right now. Yeah. And thanks for adding in that, you know, what it's like in the pandemic in, in D.C. as well, because I kind of picture everyone still in the Capitol. I know we see Congress in the Capitol, but it is still just like it is here. It is still mostly virtual, sounds like, which is another has its own challenges and benefits, as you say. And um, you started to touch on this, and I would love to hear more about some of the main climate policies that will be included in the reconciliation package or the Build Back Better package. Yeah, thanks, Kate. You're on message, build back better. Um, it's a lot more understandable than reconciliation, right? Yeah. Uh, so we are incredibly optimistic that we can put the investments 
through this reconciliation package, the Build Back Better Act, that enable the country to meet our climate reduction goals. Um, we know how to do it. It's been modeled after the incredible leadership of states across the country. And so let me just run through a few of them. Um, so in terms of the electricity sector, we have a really powerful combination of a robust package of 10 years of clean energy tax credits or incentives um, investments in businesses who are deploying renewable energy sources like wind and solar, um, pairing that with other incentives that make sure we are supporting that transition to clean electricity, right? So that's investing in long duration storage so that we can renewable energy sources with, um, with long duration storage so that um, we don't have to, we have to get out of this um, uh, conundrum we're in right now where sometimes we have um, natural gas having to fill in some baseload. So we need to get out of that. We need to get away from the, the fossil fuel um, reliance that our, our country has been in. Um, that needs to also be paired with um, transmission, right? Our, we see from storm after storm and um, natural disaster after natural disaster how vulnerable our electricity grid is. Um, and we also need investments through the tax code in clean energy manufacturing to make sure that these jobs are good, high quality union jobs. And they're invested here and being created here in Michigan and across the country. Um, that needs to be paired for the electricity sector emissions to get the job done with a clean electricity payments plan, which is a clean energy standard-like mechanism, which um, is important to drive behavior change for utilities. And this would be a combination of both carrots and sticks or incentives and penalties for utilities to be bringing on clean energy at the pace we need to meet 80% clean electricity by 2030. That's the backbone of our climate solutions because we have to clean up our electricity grid to then electrify our transportation sector and buildings. So we're also very excited about um, a really robust package of electric vehicle tax incentives. Um, these are uh, behind the two other policies I mentioned, the next biggest emission reduction driver in the package. And these EV tax credits, um, we're really excited about the work being done by Senator Stabenow, um, Representatives Kildee and Dingle to reform those to make sure that they meet um, the needs of lower income consumers better and that they better support the domestic production of um, these batteries and also the autos. And so we're incredibly excited about that. Um, and then we also need to be um, holding polluters accountable and making them pay for the pollution that they are emitting. And so we're working closely on um, a methane fee to make sure that the oil and gas industry is held to account um, and actually captures the methane that they're venting and flaring from oil and gas extraction. They can also sell that. So it's kind of a win-win in terms of the environment and, um, and business. Um, so those are some of the biggest pieces. We also are working very closely um, with our conservation allies um, to make sure that our lands and oceans are part of the solution set when we talk about climate change. And so that's investing in helping farmers and ranchers be part of storing carbon on their lands and putting in place more responsible climate practices on their um, working lands. It also means coastal resilience and, and adaptation to protect communities from storm surges while also sequestering carbon. And of course, we're working hard to um, put back in place permanent protections for the Arctic refuge, which is now threatened um, uh, to drilling due to um, rollbacks in the Trump administration. Um, so those are some of the biggest pieces in the climate space. We're also making sure that as we invest, we invest in, in righting long overdue wrongs in our country. And that looks like investing in disadvantaged communities, communities of color, low-income communities who have been on the front lines of toxic pollution and have borne the brunt of those health and economic impacts. Um, so we're making sure that we are advocating for a suite of incentives investments that um, deliver clean water for all, invest in community redevelopment, um, workforce development, and make sure that we are um, cleaning up diesel pollution from ports and elsewise. So we are really excited about that combination and are confident that um, we have a lot of support both in the halls of Congress and 
out among the public for this um, really popular agenda. Right. That's such a comprehensive climate agenda and justice agenda. Can you put into perspective what a big deal this would be for moving us toward the kind of climate goals we need to keep warming to one and a half degrees? And as you said before, cutting emissions in half by 2030 so that we're on track to do that. Yeah. Um, well, Kate, as, as you and as your listeners and audience knows, we have more time to waste. We don't. We have waited too long to tackle the climate crisis. I am always an optimist, and I think we're going to really um, turn the tide here with this historic legislation. Um, but I can't understate just how historic these investments would be in putting us back on the right track, both here in the U.S. and setting the example globally to make sure that we are accelerating the transition to clean energy, to good jobs, and to climate ambition. Um, this is the investment that I'm hopeful we'll be able to tell my grandkids about when we finally turn the corner on, on climate change. Um, to give one historic note here, which I think might help for the audience, because we're talking about you know, trillions of dollars of investment. And I think it's you know, worth comparing this legislation we're talking about uh, back to the um, Recovery Act that was passed in 2009 in Congress, right? Our, remember our society was in you know, sort of economic freefall due to the um, bubble in the housing market and the abuse of Wall Street of um, faulty loans and, and targeting um, lower income uh, consumers and, and homeowners um, and setting them really up for, for peril. But we were in sort of freefall economically. And so the country uh, government intervened with a recovery legislation. That legislation had um, little over almost $80 billion in clean energy investments. We're advocating for hundreds of billions of dollars in those same clean energy tax incentives. The scale is, is really of a wholly different magnitude. That whole legislation was, was only seven, 780 or so billion dollars. So we're talking about a really historic level of investment in this country that is long overdue um, and really only compares to the level of investment we did in our country um, with uh, the um, in the wake of the depression. Um, so we, this is the biggest investment we'll have in 50 years and will really help deliver both climate ambition as well as help to working families across the country. So I can't find fewer words or more passionate words to say that this is, this is it, this is our shot and we got to get it done right. Well said. Uh, I'm feeling it. I think a lot of people are feeling it right now. This is such a huge moment and it's really exciting. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the environmental justice piece to all of this or, you know, um, lens or um, focus for all of this. We know that President Biden proposed the Justice 40 initiative. A lot of people have heard about that. He promised to deliver at least 40% of the overall benefits from federal investments in climate and clean energy to disadvantaged communities. So will you explain in more detail what this is and how justice and equity are part of the reconciliation bills, the Build Back Better? Yeah, thank you, Kate, for, for asking this important question. So the Justice 40 initiative, as you summarized so well, Kate, really is, um, it is a sea change, a long overdue sea change for how our federal government approaches um, policymaking across the board and especially environmental policymaking. It is um, a whole of government effort to make sure that federal agencies are working with states and local communities to deliver on that commitment that you said that 40, at least 40% of investment benefits are delivered into disadvantaged communities defined as those communities who have been on the front lines of um, toxic pollution and they're suffering from that legacy, um, who also have um, been most harmed by climate change and who have been underinvested in due to 
um, really baked in um, racism in our country's policymaking. And so it's important, I think, to recognize um, that this initiative is, is built on and a direct response to um, incredible advocacy in communities of color across the country from environmental justice leaders um, on the campaign trail, President Biden and um, uh, Kamala Harris really executed an incredible amount of listening in frontline communities and communities of color. And this initiative is a direct result of that listening. And it really is a, um, a holistic sea change in terms of how the federal government is gonna hold itself accountable to make sure that we don't, um, we don't embed um, inequity into our policies and that we're actively trying to undo the legacy of toxic pollution and harm, but also build wealth in communities who have been robbed of that opportunity um, for decades, if not um, longer. And so, you know, we are really taking the lead of the environmental justice leaders and advocates who are guiding the Justice 40 initiative for the, for the president um, and his administration. So there is a White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council, the first time that advisory council has ever been at the White House level. There's also an interagency working group across the federal government that's going to be working on implementing this program. So I offer that because in the past, EPA has been the tip of the spear with the environmental justice work across the, um, the government, and they still are in a leading role. But this is really a whole of government response, and we could not have a better leader in guiding these um, justice initiatives than Dr. Cecilia Martinez, who's the lead environmental justice advisor for the president based at CEQ. So um, that's a little bit more background on Justice 40 initiative. And so to the second part of your question, Kate, um, we are fighting for um, the right kinds of investments in the Build Back Better Act that will enable those investments to be delivered in communities and delivered in the right way. But it is one important part of the Justice 40 initiative, but it really matters all the way through how the agencies implement the funds and how state and local communities are able to access and engage. Um, so we're removing barriers for local communities, especially lower wealth communities to access these funds and have the investment that they, they so deserve and need. Thank you. And I'm glad you brought up the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council because um, I was just looking at who's on there today. And Dr. Kyle White from the University of Michigan, who was one of the founders of the Michigan Environmental Justice Coalition, is also on there. So I think our, our audience would be interested to know that as well. Um, we have a very slim pro-climate majority in Congress right now and an administration that is championing climate injustice, which is a Pretty, a very rare moment. Can you highlight how important it is this moment and not only because of what has been proposed, which is huge, but also just this opportunity to get some major climate policy achieved right now while we have this chance? Um, well, a uh, perhaps a nugget of political history for your audience here. In the last 40 years, there's only been four years where there's been the same Democratic trifecta across the presidency and the both chambers of Congress. So just by historical standards, this moment, this alignment is incredibly rare um, and it will not come around. Um, this is, uh, you know, last time we were debating seriously climate legislation in Congress, it was 2009. So now we're 12 years after that. And all of the predictions that scientists have been warning us about the impacts of climate change are happening faster and more severely we, you know this, but our um, international cadre of the most respected climate scientists, the Inter um, Governmental Panel on Climate Change has come out with its sixth assessment that says we are in code red for humanity. Scientists are known for speaking conservatively and cautiously 
this is as much of an alarm bell as could be raised. And so this moment is both unique um, in terms of how rare it is in terms of the alignment. Um, it's also, um, I think, really worth noting the incredible demand that there is for this climate ambition and from youth um, to partners in EJ to working with labor. You know, it is an incredibly different moment and momentum than we had back in 2009. And I was lucky enough to be working on that legislation too. And so it really is night and day. We've got a robust clean energy industry. It was nascent and just a promise back then. Um, and so we've got so much more going for us. Um, but again, this is um, not an opportunity that will come, come along. And this fall and this next you know, four or five weeks is critical. Um, we know that uh, unfortunately um, the political season kicks in and things in Congress really grind to a halt. And so this is, this is our window. Um, and we are all in to get it done. Last question for you, for people who want to get more involved and who want to help in this really huge moment before us, how would you recommend that people take action? Thanks, Kate. Such a great, such a great question. Um, you know, our democracy only works when we have an engaged citizenry. Um, it's a core part of what LCB does and what drew me to, to this organization. Um, so I would encourage all of uh, your audience to contact their member of Congress, to become a member of Michigan League of Conservation Voters, to be engaged, um, to be showing up at rallies safely, right? And to be raising your voice um, with Congress to say, we must do this and we must do it now. We must get the Build Back Better Act done right with the investments that meet the climate ambition we need and center good union jobs and justice at the same time. So I would say civic engagement um, and engagement is um, is critical at this point. I really can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing right now and for joining us today to, to give us some, some inside, the inside look at what's happening in, in DC and in Congress. Thank you, Kate. It's my true pleasure. And it's um, an incredible honor to, to be here today and to be a national partner of Michigan League of Conservation Voters. So thank you so much for letting me join you for a bit. So thank you so much for joining us today, Bentley, and adding more of more color and information about how this is going to look in Michigan. Yeah, thank you so much, Kate. I'm, I'm a fan of Michigan Climate Action Network, Groundwork Center, and the podcast. So uh, really great to be here. So first, will you explain for us your role at Michigan LCV and how you in Michigan and Sarah and the other DC staff work together? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm the Federal Government Affairs Director at Michigan LCV, uh, Michigan League of Conservation Voters. And uh, first, Michigan League of Conservation Voters is a statewide, um, nonpartisan uh, organization that is the political voice for Michigan's land, air, and water. Um, and um, and for and working with our sister organization, Michigan League of Conservation Voters Education Fund. Uh, we also engage on protecting voting rights and increasing um, protecting democracy and increasing access to the ballot uh, as well. Um, and so uh, our activities range from educating and, and um, informing the public about what's happening in, in Lansing and at our state capitol and uh, what bills they're taking up, what issues they're de debating um, to to um, advocating and educating the decision makers themselves, from the governor to the attorney general to the secretary of state, of course, the state legislature, and uh, and then holding those decision makers accountable um, by 
you know, doing things like keeping track of their votes with a scorecard. That's often what we're, we're known for. So you can check out, you know, our, our accountability suite and see how is my state representative voting, you know, on environmental issues, issues uh, that matter to public health, to my drinking water. Um, but also, how is uh, the governor doing? And we have a, a scoring kind of report card system for, for the governor. And uh, we also have a green gavels program to, to check out what the state Supreme Court is doing. Um, so we're very state focused, but we've also recognized that these issues don't stop at, you know, state uh, at the state government level, that issues span all types of decisions from the local state to the federal and the global level, level frankly. Um, and so we've decided that we need to we need to be in those places. We need to be working with local governments as well in Michigan, but we also need to be um, building relationships and advocating at the federal level. And so we work really closely with um, our partners at the national level, League, the National League of Conservation Voters, LCV, and, um, and their government affairs team, their, their field and grassroots team, their communications teams, uh, in order to um, all move together as part of one conservation voter movement. We actually call it conservation voter movement with, with LCV affiliates, in states across the country. And right now we're, it's an all hands on deck moment to have a, um, secure this transformational investment in uh, clean energy, climate action, addressing environmental uh, injustices, uh, creating good paying union jobs, and, um, and really trying to prevent the worst of the worst impacts of, of climate change. And that, that window is open right now. And so um, everyone is full speed ahead on it. So as the, the federal government affairs director, I'm working closely with our team here in Michigan, but I'm also um, trying to get in front of our Michigan delegation in Washington, D.C. as much as possible, building those relationships, addressing the issues that matter to them um, and engaging on, on legislation and um, education on, on policies and, and the issues. Yeah. And just to um, be clear, when you're talking about working with the Michigan delegation, you're meaning the Michigan U.S. House of Representatives and the Michigan senators. Correct. Senators. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and there's, you know, it, it makes sense that uh, a lot of these members of Congress have worked up through the ranks of, you know, they're from Michigan, um, usually. And uh, they've often worked up through the ranks of the state legislature or local government or, you know, have worked at a at, at an organization or a business. And so the state organizations often have those early relationships and often can have actually even greater access um, or be more influential in D.C. than a lot of the national groups. That's not. Um, you know, LCV is very well respected and um, and taken very seriously on the Hill through through all of their accountability that they do. Um, but it's most powerful when we're working together because we really have kind of that on the ground knowledge, the on the ground partners, and we can partner with their expertise and with their um, with their knowledge and know how the tactics to to really move the move the needle. Yeah, and you're connected to so many. 
of these members of Congress constituents who they really, you know, want to hear from. So that's really powerful as well. So let's talk about this $3.5 trillion Build Back Better package. If it passes as we really, you know, as we're talking about, as we really hope that it does and that you're working furiously, we're working on to make sure it does. What can we expect to come to Michigan? What would this look like like in Michigan, um, this, this level of investment in climate and clean energy and all of the other provisions we've talked about? Yeah. Well, first, for me, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, my kids now and future generations and preventing the worst impacts of climate change and really reversing course on this dangerous and catastrophic um, path that we're on right now. And we saw, we've seen it this year, this summer, we've seen uh, uh, extreme weather that's knocked out power for like 10% of the state uh, at different times. We've seen um, rain events and precipitation events uh, in, in, with record rainfall in record amount of time leading to uh, you know, highways being completely flooded, cars stranded. Almost every time it rains, it seems in, in Southeast Michigan, people's basements flood sewage backs up, raw sewage and combined sewage overflow spill into our Great Lakes. Um, and it's clearly unsustainable. It's already unsustainable. We're already feeling the impacts. Our infrastructure is built for the last 100 years and we're nowhere near ready uh, to be resilient for the impacts that are already baked in to the, to the warming that's happening now. So the, what I think of First and foremost is I want to state, you know, nowhere is safe for, for climate change. I think Michigan gets a reputation of, oh, you're surrounded by the Great Lakes. This is a great place for climate change. Nowhere, nowhere is, is, is going to be um, immune to the impacts of climate change. So what I want to see is our great state um, preparing for that and being part of the solution to rapidly draw down climate pollution, rapidly draw down greenhouse gas emissions. And um, you know, prevent, help prevent the world from passing these climate tipping points that will really um, create unpredictable and you know catastrophic havoc from our you know fluctuating Great Lakes levels to um, to um, the cumulative impact of pollution you know in different areas, especially industrial areas, especially in Black and Brown communities. And um, and really make a, a a better, more sustainable uh, way of life for for all of us. So that's that's number one. I think there's, um, but I think you know you've you've heard President Biden say it's this is a jobs plan, and they're really treating it as a jobs plan, as a as an opportunity to um, grow industries uh, and strengthen industries here here in Michigan, here across the country. And there's a huge opportunity for Michigan. And I think one of the things that really first comes to mind is um, electric vehicles. And certainly there's a huge opportunity. Uh, our big three are already moving toward electrification. They've already made announcements. They're going to be in the next 15 years phasing out internal combustion engine uh, vehicles and going to electric vehicles. 
there's a whole industry. It's not just the big three companies that where they'll their jobs. There's an entire chain of um, businesses and companies and startups that can um, make the next generation of vehicles right here in Michigan with union labor. And um, they're fun to drive, they perform well, and we don't have to, even uh, as we clean up our grid and we charge our, these electric vehicles with cleaner and cleaner energy, the, um, they are better for the environment, they're better for our health, they're not spewing um, toxic emissions. But it's not also, uh, it's not just electric vehicles either. It's jobs that already really exist that Michiganders are already doing that there'll be a lot of work. One example, replacing lead, lead pipes and replacing our sewer systems, um, helping separate our drinking water and our uh, storm water and our sewer uh, systems so that we don't have raw sewage spilling into our waterways, spilling into our drinking water, sources of drinking water. Um, it's things like weatherizing homes and schools, um, installing, uh, installing uh, you know, state-of-the-art heating and cooling um, appliances in our homes, heat pumps, um, so that we have more comfortable uh, we have a more comfortable living and it's much more efficient and we can grit. We can get huge cost savings out of that and we can get huge emissions reductions out of that. Um, and then of course, uh, solar and improving the grid and, um, renewable energy is a huge opportunity for Michigan too. So really it's, uh, there's a lot to like in here and the examples are, you know, are really, uh, almost too numerous to go through right now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the examples of electric vehicles and of also the the um, high efficient. Um, oh, what did you just call them? Uh, not mini splits, but the heating heat pumps. Heat pumps. Mm -hmm. heat pumps thanks. Um, we had Douglas Jester on a few months back talking about how we can meet our carbon neutrality goal in Michigan, and we were talking about how what this means to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. 29 years away it means by 2035 every new home heating system has to be electric and every new car on the road needs to be electric and so that's a huge investment to get to that point we need to have charging stations we need to be putting you know we need to be starting to put those in homes um, the heat pumps in homes and this opportunity to have a major injection into that infrastructure is um is critical so I think that I think those examples are really helpful to see how this can really shape our state and our goals and how we're getting to carbon neutrality and doing it equitably. And also, but how, you know, shed some light on how the budget process works in Michigan and how we can help steer these investments in the right direction once the federal investments are there, which some have already come our way through the um the COVID um, crisis um, investments to help recover from the COVID crisis. So how do we steer these investments in the right way once the money comes to Michigan? Right, that's exactly right. Um, we've already had um, a good investment to address the COVID crisis, like you said, through legislation like the American Rescue Plan, which was passed earlier this year. And that money is, um, a big chunk of that money is already 
hitting uh, the coffers of local government and local governments are, are looking at projects right now um, to, uh, you know, both, both address uh, the impacts of the COVID crisis, but also to, um, to improve uh, some, some aspects of communities. And there's an opportunity to do that in a sustainable way. But with this next um, opportunity of investment, that's gonna be even more critical. And the state and local governments is where the rubber meets the road in terms of how these investments are spent, how we are, um, are we doing it with um, principles of uh, justice and equity are we looking at the most vulnerable communities uh, to, to be able to give opportunity for everyone, opportunity to learn, opportunity to raise a family, opportunity to have, um, not worry about the drinking water uh, that's coming out of your tap or the air that you breathe. Uh, so engagement at the local and state level, uh, if, if these, um, these pieces of legislation do get done, and that can be the, the Build Back Better Act or the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, or both, they, they really are complementary. So engagement at those levels is super critical. And, and to give you one example, the state, I mean, to, to give some insight into the um, budget process, the state uh, legislature is um, um, just entering a period right now in the next couple of weeks to finalize uh, the state budget and come to a deal and we're, we're all hoping that there, there can be a deal that, that does invest in um, uh, clean air, clean water, uh, and sustainability. But immediately after that, they're going to turn their attention to uh, supplemental budgets. They, call, they just call them supp supplementals uh, to spend the, some of those federal dollars uh, that um, we weren't necessarily anticipating we we're going to get. So. Right now is actually a critical time to engage your state representative, your state senator on um, how you think those federal dollars should, that have already been um, passed through to the state should be spent. And that's important for this next, uh, for future federal spending, because um, it's an opportunity to to highlight programs that maybe have been underfunded, um, highlight cleanup and remediation, highlight investments in our water. And um, the more that they hear from people now for, for this part of the budget process, the more um, they're going to be thinking about those, those programs and projects and wanting to see them succeed and, and keep um, investing and keep that consistency. That's one of the, um, challenges of of year-to-year -year budgets is uh you know you might get a infusion in something one year and then it might be cut the next year and you you lose that momentum so we have a really great opportunity to to have a transformational investment to take our infrastructure which um the american society of civil Eng engineers has rated a d plus in michigan and really bring that back up and make up for the lack of investment that we've had for years um, so it's not just the federal delegation and, and, our, our, and our representatives in, in D.C. that need to hear from us. The state needs to hear, um, you know, about specific projects, specific programs and uh, broad principles of how to how to um, 
you know, deploy these investments wisely. That's a really great point. And um, so, I mean, reaching out to your state senator and your state uh, representative and letting them know that you really want them to invest in climate solutions and and um, safe drinking water and clean water. Is that what you would recommend? Yes, absolutely. And um, and and uh, and and it's not just uh, the state legislature. I mean, I think there's. Um, I think people would be surprised the access that they, you can have with your state representative and your your state senator. But um, and and they hold regular town halls. But you can also reach out directly to their offices. But you can also have access to the various agencies in um, in the executive branch uh, from the Environment, Great Lakes, um, and Energy Department to um, to even. Uh, agencies and commissions that kind of stand um, on its own, independent of the legislature and the executive branch, like the Michigan Public Service Commission. And there's opportunities to engage with the Michigan Public Service Commission on how do we, um, how are utilities, uh, how are we holding our utilities accountable for making investments in the grid, cleaning up the grid, doing it in affordable ways so that they're not just raising rates year after year. Yet we have some of the worst um, service and, and reliability in the in the Midwest, and so you can have access. Um, another example is weighing in on cases like the Line Five uh, tunnel review, and it's amazing that if you do reach out and you do, you can set up meetings, you can set up calls, you can make comments that you you can do talk directly with commissioners, with um, state board members, with um, agency, you know, agency, career agency uh, experts and scientists. And so get involved. And, um, and I think you'll find that you can, you can make a difference. You can ask questions, get answers, and have your suggestions be taken seriously. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. And we can put links in the show notes. You can also go to our our websites to learn more. And I think to follow up on a point Sarah made in in the pandemic, now a lot of these meetings, like the Michigan Public Service Commission meetings, are are done virtually. So you can attend from your own home if you want to watch. And there's also public comment opportunities via email or at a lot of these meetings, at, at these meetings as well. Um, let's talk about our Michigan congressional delegation, who you work with. And I want to point out that you also worked in D.C. for a while. Um, so you've got that inside scoop as well. You, you know how it works. You've been in D.C. working um, for a senator. Um, so can you tell us about the, um, are you, our delegation, our members of Congress that who are championing this, um, who have leadership roles and committees who, are, who will be developing the details of the policy. Can you kind of give us a lay of the land of how important are our members of Congress in, in all of this? Absolutely. Um, the Michigan delegation is, is critical in a lot of ways. We have some of the strongest champions for climate action, for protecting our water as any state in the country. And um, they've uh, led before this budget reconciliation, Build Back Better Act, but we're seeing that we're seeing how important champions are. And 
Um, so there's a difference between just voting the right way and then really picking up the ball, championing it, introducing bills, being part of the negotiations so that things don't get watered down and weakened. And uh, so, um, you know, starting with our senators, uh, the, the Senate has already um, advanced the Build Back Better Act blueprint. And uh, Sarah Chifo talked about now committees are doing the work of essentially writing the various bills that will be uh, uh, put together and assemble. Um, but um, some key committees in the Senate, we our senators sit on some very key committees in the Senate that will have that will eventually take the House bill or are part of you know talks and negotiations. Now they'll take the House bill, potentially make amendments and send and hopefully pass it, send it back to the House for final passage. So the Senate is very key, even though the House committees right now are the ones um, kind of writing the, the text and the bills as we speak. And I'll get to that in a moment. But Senator Stabenow has been extremely strong on, um, on all things climate. I've really noticed this year she's sensed the opportunity and she's on the right uh, committees to make a difference. So she's on the finance committee that is putting together the, the clean energy and the electric vehicle uh, tax incentives and figuring out how to jumpstart the clean energy economy. She's the chair of the agriculture committee, which has an incredible role of turning an industry, uh, you know, and, and a way of growing our food that is right now contributing to the climate crisis and making it a solution and making hopefully a net positive in terms of. Um, in terms of carbon emissions. Um, uh, and then she's also on the Environment and Public Works Committee, which is really important as far as, um, you know, jurisdiction over the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and that sort of thing. Senator Peters complements those committees, and he is the head of the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, which sounds like, well, Homeland Security doesn't sound like there's a whole uh, you know, big role here, but that's actually the organization that oversees FEMA, you know, in our emergency response. And there are amazing opportunities to get, to get grants, uh, for communities to prepare for extreme weather and build resiliency. And that's exactly what he's working on with a provision that he's, um, secured called the storm act. And uh, so, and then he's also on the um, um, on the Commerce and Science and Transportation Committee, which is uh, a key committee to think about uh, our infrastructure, our surface transportation infrastructure, our roads, uh, roads and bridges, and trying to avoid some of the same mistakes of the past. Hopefully, using more green infrastructure and using conservation solutions rather than paving everything over. Uh, as we uh, upgrade our our infrastructure, so um, some absolutely key committees there. Again, they'll um, hopefully take what the House has done, um, and hopefully a lot of the uh, disagreements will be ironed out and um, and pass it and send it back to the House. Over in the House, we have amazing champions in um, Congresswoman Tlaib, who has been so strong on. Um, on uh, water and climate justice, 
um, and has been really pushing along with Congresswoman Dingell, the Thrive Act, which is really a, a uh, 10-year fundamental kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, trans transform our society to tackle the climate crisis, but also address pollution and um, create ec economic opportunity. She's been, she's been amazing. Um, Representative Kildy, as Sarah Chifo mentioned, is working on the Ways and Means Committee on tax incentives, especially the electric vehicle tax incentive. And we're hoping that that can be something that's a huge success. Um, and we have um, uh, Andy, um, Representative Andy Levin, who's also been just an amazing champion, especially as it relates to climate and labor and making sure that labor unions are part of the transition to clean energy and that workers that were thinking through communities that, um, you know, that have depended on uh, fossil fuel power plants for jobs and for a tax base. And we're thinking through what's, what's the future look like and how do we get there? Um, just done an amazing job. Representative Lawrence on um, water issues has been so strong going to bat to during the COVID pandemic to prevent water shutoffs, replace lead service lines, um, and clean up our drinking water, especially in our most vulnerable communities. And um, I mentioned Debbie Dingell, um, but she's on the Critical Energy and Commerce Committee, which has a lot of the jurisdiction over how do we clean up our grid, our energy grid, and um, how do we use that carrot and stick approach with utilities to speed up even faster and get to, um, you know, cut our climate pollution in half by 2030 and go 100% clean energy by 2035. And she's all in on that. So it's been great. I would I would highlight two. I would highlight um, I would highlight um, Representative Alyssa Slotkin as someone that is deeply concerned about climate change and takes and and does a really good job of using her national security background in framing why it's important for national security that we address climate change. It's, we're seeing climate change create instability around the, around the world, and we, we have to get on top of it in order to maintain peace. And so she's on committees that aren't as involved as writing the legislation, but they are critical in terms of climate change writ large. She has been a little more cautious on the overall spending. She's expressed some concern, but I think if if we see the bill written as planned, where we're going to pay pay for it through things like a, a polluter pay mechanism with methane fee, if we're going to um, really get uh, the tax code re, uh, in a fair and equitable way, where uh, the one percent and corporations are paying are actually paying taxes in the first place, uh, but paying their fair share, then I, I, I am confident that um, Representative Slotkin will be there in the end voting for this. And, um, and she's already voted and deserves thanks for uh, voting to advance the overall blueprint um, just a few weeks ago. And Representative Haley Stevens, she's um, on the research and uh, technology, she's the chair of the research and technology subcommittee and so she is really looking at the investments in research and development uh, that will be needed for the for our next generation of climate solutions, uh, which is so important to to invest in now, as well as our education and labor um, committee 
to um, make sure that um, all the other pieces of the Build Back Better agenda from, from childcare to, to, um, to um, education and our schools are really um, thought through as well. And we make investments there. And she's been, she's been really strong, even though um, she's often targeted as a vulnerable member of the delegation in, a, in kind of a swing district. But she's been very strong in support of in infrastructure and climate action. So that was long-winded, but suffice it to say that everyone has a role. I only went through Democrats because unfortunately, the Build Back Better Act um, largely has not seen anything but um, opposition from Republicans. Um, they've, they've been good, uh, good partners uh, to some extent on the, on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and that remains bipartisan. Um, and we've seen um, members like uh, Representative Peter Meyer and Representative Upton talk about the importance of addressing climate change, but we really need to see that in action and with their vote and with their participation. And so we shouldn't leave Republicans out of the, out of the um, equation, but right now we have a window to get an extremely strong transformational Build Back Better Act uh, with, with, um, with uh, just the Democrats. And that's how they're, they're, they're proceeding and they're, um, they, we can't afford to water it down. Um, this is really the floor. This, this 3.5 trillion investment is really the floor not the ceiling. And we need to continue this momentum even after we get it across the finish line. That was a really, really helpful breakdown of our um, Michigan members of Congress and important roles that they're playing. And to follow up on your your last point, I think it's worth, worth pointing out that this reconciliation process is the way for the Senate to avoid the filibuster. So they're able, they can pass this with the slim majority of Democrats who are also currently the pro-climate voters. Um, so that's why this is this reconciliation process is so important as well. Thanks for underlining that, yeah. And so what are, for our listeners, uh, what are specific actions people can take right now, you know, especially with our members of Congress? Um, first of all, I would say do something. Uh, don't let sometimes it feels like we're helpless or we're powerless. It feels like these decisions are being made in back rooms, influenced by special interests, influenced by money. Um, but it all adds up. So do something, even if it's just sending an email, uh, lots of group, you know, get associated with a group um, because lots of groups have, uh, you know, just really easy uh, ways of just sending a quick message to your Senator, to your representative. So at the very least do that. But I would challenge people to go an extra step and make a call and, and call the office directly, ask to speak for to the staffer that works on environmental issues. Um, and that's much better than just leaving a message. Um, if you can request the meeting to meet with the office and, and you absolutely can, you can request the meeting to meet with the member of Congress themselves or and or staff and you can get some time you can get 15 minutes 30 minutes um, to go through um, your list of priorities and your asks and really the ask is um, 
you know, get the Build Back Better Act done that centers climate justice, uh, equity, addressing pollution, creating good paying union jobs, um, and protecting our water. Um, but if you want more specifics on specific programs that kind of need that extra boost, um, I'll give an example, the, the Civilian Climate Corps, which is a, a, um, a great concept based on kind of the, the New Deal Civilian Conservation Corps, where we can, we can create a program to help plug uh, young people into uh, amazing jobs to, to help build resiliency, improve our infrastructure, educate the public, and model what jobs can look like uh, in the in the clean energy economy. Um, so there's other, there's other programs like that that could be highlighted a little more. And there's, there's a lot in here that you can pick, pick up as, you know what, I feel really strongly about PFAS contamination and we need money for cleanup. We need money for PFAS free products like firefighting gear, you know, foam and gear for firefighters that are, don't have PFAS and aren't, you know, contaminating their, their bodies. Um, and you can highlight that. And, uh, and then in general, I would say, you know, organize your network, tap into your network. Do you know anyone that, that does have access to a congressional office that does have some sway in the community that is considered a leader or a business? Talk to them, encourage them to get involved. And there's lots of ways that um, this kind of influencer network can make a huge difference. You know, sometimes, these leaders with a, with a call to a member of Congress can really help focus their attention on something. They might already be, they've got, they've got a lot on their plate. So, uh, you know, a, a local elected official, a business leader, a, a leader of a, non, a local nonprofit can make a huge difference. And then not only can they, can they make a call or, or an email, but they can write an op-ed. They can write a blog post. And there's lots of organizations like Michigan LCV, like Michigan Climate Action Network, that can help with that, make it an easy process, make it as painless as possible, and make it feel really good that you're making a difference. We can send out sample social media, sample letters to the editor, and you can kind of just take that, make it your own, post it, and spread the word. So do something and then do a little bit more after that. I love it. Great, great answer. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that is important to? to talk about right now? I would love to cover all sorts of things. Uh, we've covered a lot and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's been a real pleasure to be on and um, looking forward to, uh, to future podcast episodes and, and working closely with you. Me too. And I just want to say thank you to you, Bentley in particular, and to the Michigan League of Conservation Voters for being such leaders on climate action in Michigan and also such great partners to MICAN over the years. Thank you so much. It's a great, it's a great organization. It's a great network. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speaking of Resilience podcast. You can find more episodes of the Speaking of Resilience podcast at our website, groundworkcenter.org slash podcast, miclimateaction.org slash podcast, or on all major podcast platforms. If you appreciate this content and want more of it, stay up to date by subscribing to the podcast wherever you listen in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps other listeners find the Speaking of Resilient podcast. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Groundwork Center and at MI Climate Action. 
Speaking of Resilience is created by the Groundwork Center for Resilient Communities and the Michigan Climate Action Network. This episode was produced by Taylor Kramer of Cold Shower Media in collaboration with Nick Loud of the Boardman Review.